resonates with the Aparanas because she is Pakeha and he is Māori. Shades of Naomi the Jewess and Ruth the Moabite coming together. I think the song captures the emotion of that moment really, really well. Well, today I'm going to try to tell the story of Ruth, the book of Ruth in the Old Testament, from Ruth's perspective. So, for those of you who don't know it, the Reader's Digest version goes like this. Ruth lives in Moab, which is down here. That pink bit at the bottom, it would be Jordan now, and Bethlehem is up a wee way into what would now be the West Bank. She meets this Jewish family of emigres in her homeland of Moab. She marries Chilean, who is one of Naomi and Elimelech's sons. In short order, Elimelech dies. And ten years later, both of her boys die as well, Chilean and his brother. So both Naomi and Ruth are left widows. And so Naomi decides that she will go back home to her hometown in Israel. And Ruth, the Moabite, tags along, despite Naomi's objections. Now, it's only an 80-mile trip, but the cultural distance is vast. And they arrive in Bethlehem at harvest time, and so Ruth goes gleaning, which is picking up some of the scraps of grain that the harvesters have missed. My dog... My late dog was very good at gleaning here during our lunches. He would run around the tables eating the, the crumbs that had fallen. And while gleaning, she is noticed by the man who owns the field that she is gleaning in, who is a relative of Elimelech. Naomi tries to matchmake the two together, which works, which is very surprising for matchmaking because normally it doesn't work at all. And Boaz takes a bit of a shine to Ruth. This is pre-Tinder. Boaz buys the family field, marries Ruth, and they have a son, whose grandson is King David, who in turn is a human ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ. So into the messianic line. So that's the Reader's Digest vision. So what was going on for Ruth to do this? What was her family of origin like? Did she like living in Moab, being a Moabite? I have know several friends who have immigrated to the US and feel like they belong there. They're not coming back. Another guy I knew at Varsity has gone to Germany. He's not coming back either. I know a number of people who feel that they just don't fit into their family of origin. As a younger person, I certainly felt that way about my wider tribe. Not so much now, but did then. Was Ruth like this? Well, consider this. Moab and Israel have been in conflict, so relationships were a little bit testy. There's a battle between Israel and Moab described in Judges chapter 3, which is not that long before. 
Secondly, the Jews thought that the Moabites were descended from Lot's incest with his daughters. So they tended to look down on them a bit, probably wondering how many fingers they had. Sort of attitude that we sometimes have to people from Southland. <laughs> I knew I'd get a bite. Or Ashburton. She chose in making the step to follow the God of Israel rather than her local gods, Mr. and Mrs. Chemosh, who were the gods of her people. And she married Ruth and Elimelech's son, Chilion, when ostensibly the family was only in Moab for a time. Now, cross-cultural relationships are challenging at the best of times. But much more so in this ancient context. The most likely way for a foreign marriage to be made in those days was when people raided or conquered another, each other. In other words, dating by kidnap. In Marion Chilean the Jew, Ruth does not seem very attached to her own people. And changing God, the God that you worshipped, was also a bit fraught for someone raised in that pagan context. There was a common belief that or Chemish, Chemish is the god of the Moabites. Yahweh is the god of the Jews. Ra is the god of the Egyptians, and so on. Each people group had their own god <clears throat> who looked after them and didn't care about anybody else. Naomi may well have looked at things the same way as she told Ruth to return to her people and her gods, when she was trying to persuade her not to come back to Israel. A Moabite marrying a Jew was risking the wrath of Chemosh on themselves and on their wider team. Chemosh might not be impressed with her changing teams. And we're not so different now. When Dan Carter signed with the Auckland Blues, it was like a death in the family around here. People were not impressed. But at the end of the day, we just don't know that much about her personal backstory. Another thing that interests me is that it's apparent from Ruth 1.16 that she'd embraced Yahweh, the God of Israel. In other words, the God the Father that Alan was leading us in praying to just earlier. Like many of us here today, she is a convert from a family that was outside the people of God. How many people here are like that? Converts from families outside the people of God. Yeah, quite a number. So who led her to faith? Well, there's this family that had shot the gap from Israel when famine struck, leaving behind the people of God and their godly inheritance in the land. Not like they were going to Moab as missionaries with SIM or pioneers. Naomi was not trying to draw Ruth to Israel to be part of God's people. She was trying to persuade her to stay in Moab. Look at verse 15. Return after your sister-in-law. Go back to your people and your gods. Even in this very unpromising evangelistic context, somehow Ruth has bonded with Naomi and the God of Israel. It's not a superficial thing. It's a deep and strong thing. It's not like when I was younger and people would go up front to an altar call at a big meeting and they'd wake up the next morning and they would continue with their previous lives as if nothing had happened. I, I heard an American evangelist 
bemoaning the fact that most of the people in his community had made a decision for Jesus at some stage, which now was a positive obstacle to the gospel. Hey, I'm okay, they'd say. I made a decision for Jesus years ago. Likewise, the practice in some Protestant churches, particularly in Europe, of baptising infants, arguably inoculates them against the gospel later in life. I'm already a Christian because of what happened to me when I was a child. There's an extreme example. 25 years ago, maybe longer than 25 years ago, almost 30 years ago now in Rwanda, in Africa, they went through the most brutal civil war imaginable. Some Hutu people attacked an ethnic minority called the Tutsis with machetes. And they left maybe a million people dead. It was carnage. Big news at the time. But one of the curious things about this situation was that Rwanda was one of the most Christianized countries in Africa. But presumably it was a faith that didn't go too deep. Because saving faith leads to a changed life. It's not just this thing in your head. And James talks a bit about this in his book in the Bible. It's about what we do as a consequence of our faith that shows our faith. Yes, Ruth here makes this decision to follow the Lord, but there's a whole lot of stuff that that decision leads to. Her confession of faith leads to one leaving her home to go to an unknown place where she is not sure how she will be received. That's brave. And some of you here have done this, Vicky Doopsy. When she arrives, she goes gleaning at harvest time, picking up the bits that the reapers have missed. Now, that is just a slight step above begging. Through this whole story, she honours her mother-in-law, Naomi, who by her own admission is bitter. But Ruth puts her first. She obeys Naomi despite any misgivings that she might have about her mother-in-law's seduction strategy for Boaz. Read Ruth 3 for next week. High-risk strategy. Could have ended very badly. And also she discerns that this guy, Boaz, he's the real deal. He's a good guy. Real fruit of that decision, I think. And because her life has got the mark of God's spirit in it. This isn't just a head thing, something you did at a YFC rally and didn't think about again the next day. This is something that's affected who she is and how she is. Well, people will often say that my life is my witness. And on that basis, how would Naomi stack up? Not great. She's angry, she's bitter, She doesn't have a nice word to say about God and she doesn't want to be followed by Ruth. And telling Naomi to go back to her gods, she doesn't seem to understand that actually Yahweh is God overall. Reminds me of a story I heard once of two drug addicts who were baked off their faces one night on hard drugs. I think it was heroin. And in their adult haze, they were chatting about their lives. 
And one said to his mate, so, dude, what does your father do for a crust? Oh, yeah, he's a preacher, pastor. Well, I never went to church. Really? I went multiple times a week until I left home. So what's it all about then? Oh, well, look, it's sort of, he preaches that God made everything, including us, and we've royally stuffed it up by doing our own selfish thing. Jesus came to save us from ourselves and offers forgiveness and new life to anyone who wants to have a new start. The story goes that that addict cried out to God, the God that he'd never heard of before that night, and his prayer was received. The next day he began a new life under the lordship of Jesus. The gospel is self-authenticating. So it's not all about how great God's people are. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who turn and believe. Somehow, through Naomi and her rather messed up family, God got through to Ruth and she was all in. Now I've talked about Ruth. But is God in the story? Well, he's kind of referred to but not as doing anything. And I find that interesting. Do people know this poem? One night I dreamed a dream as I was walking along the beach with my Lord across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that many times along the path of my life, especially at the lowest and the saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me. So I asked the Lord about it. I said, Lord, you said once I decided if I decided to follow you that you'd walk all the way with me. But I've noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there's only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, when I needed you most, you would leave me. And he whispered, My precious, precious child, I love you and I will never leave you. Never ever during your trials and testings, when you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. Now this poem, with all sorts of really interesting backdrops, is probably the biggest seller at Mana Books. Are there the footprints of God in the story of Ruth? The trace of God invisibly doing little things. Listen to this from Ruth 2. Now Naomi had a kinsman on her husband's side, a prominent rich man of the family of Elimelech, that's her ex-father-in-law, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain behind someone in whose sight I may find, find favour. She said to her, go, my daughter, so she went. She came and gleaned in the field behind the reapers. As it happened, she came to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz 
came from Bethlehem. He said to the reapers, Lord be with you. They answered, Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, To whom does this young woman belong? The servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is a Moabite who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the reapers. So she came. And she's been on her feet from early this morning until now without resting even for a moment. She goes gleaning and just happens to end up on Boaz's field. And he just happens to show up on that day. This was a happy circumstance because as we find out later, he was a potential kinsman redeemer who could save both Naomi and Ruth from squalor. Was there a better field for her to end up in? No. Was there a better time for her to end up in that field? No. And he trots along and he gets a good reference of what a jolly good and hard worker Ruth is. I sense footprints. Now if you read all the references to Boaz, you can see that he was a man who recognised good character when he saw it. He was a moral man in the good sense of the word, not the sort of preachy, judgmentally sense. There's another interesting thing about Boaz that has some relevance to this story. Boaz was descended from Rahab, who was the woman in Jericho who sheltered Joshua's spies when they were scoping out the promised land before they invaded. And the story is said in the opening chapters of the book of Joshua. Now she is described in most translations as a prostitute or possibly an innkeeper. Words in other languages can have quite broad possibilities. Your, um, a close cousin might be described as a brother in some, in some um, languages. So maybe she was not a prostitute, but clearly as far as the author was concerned, she was following a fairly disreputable career path. She's clearly a woman of some spiritual insight because here what she says to Joshua's spies. She came up to them on the roof and said to the, the spies, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that dread of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the Lord melt in fear before you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the kings of the Amorites. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. There was no courage left in any of us because of you. The Lord your God is indeed God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, since I have been nice to you, swear, by, swear to me by the Lord that you in turn will deal kindly with my family. Give me a sign of good faith that you'll spare my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver us from death. Well, her family was spared when the people of Israel took Jericho and she married a Jewish bloke called Salmon who was Boaz's ancestor, possibly Boaz's dad. Quite helpful, I think, to have someone in the story who knows from personal experience that pagan women can become faithful followers of the Lord. He was easily able then to look past Ruth's foreignness and see her true character. Gosh, that was helpful. More footprints, maybe? It seems to me in this story that God's providential hand is moving in the shadows all through this book. 
working out his perfect will and purpose back then and now. Despite Naomi's baggage, she still reluctantly leads Ruth into the arms of God and his people somehow. God is not limited by us. Hallelujah. Even though we often think that he is, that we've got to have everything sorted before we open our mouths. We don't. If you are a believer, have you ever put together your own story of faith? How you became a Jesus follower, the journey that God has taken you on since then. When I was a, a new believer, we all got made to write these testimonies. They called them. It's an exercise I've repeated a number of times since most recently, eight years ago when I arrived here. Now, as the last four decades have unfortunately slipped by for me, my story has subtly changed. My first version of a testimony, I was the lead who chose to follow the Lord, my gracious co-star. Now he is the undisputed lead, and I'm in the chorus, or maybe I'm an extra. He acts, and I react. And now I look back at the beach, and there's just footprints for Africa everywhere. Likewise, God is the star of the Old Testament. He's the star of my story, and I dare say he's the star of your story too. I was talking a few years ago with someone who had a string of near-death experiences, including a suicide attempt, which led her to be extremely grateful to God. He was her literal saviour. It's a good thing, I think, to look back at the beach, to ponder our experiences and look for the divine footprints so that we can give thanks for the care and concern for us that we see. It'll also help us get a true perspective on who is actually calling the shots in our life. A godly orientation. They are stories that we can share to explain why we believe, to encourage believers and non-believers alike. And I think the, the benefit of that is it's actually it's letting other people into our lives. Having the courage to be a bit vulnerable, which will enable others to do likewise. Okay, we've got a wee exercise to do now. So has everyone got a newsletter? And because you will need one, for the, and this will be part of the exam. Has everyone got a pen? Put up your hand if you haven't got a pen, and management will bring one to you. Now, these are special pens. They belong to Jesus, and we want them back at the end. Well, he wants them back at the end, I should say. Everyone got a pen? I see some hands. Sister, 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 little sister. This is sort of like when I was the exam convener at Rickon in high school doing in CA. You will not be allowed to leave for the next 45 minutes. 
I catch you cheating, you'll be thrown into the furnace at the back of the school. Okay, everybody ready? Okay, you'll see on the inside there's a series of headings. Okay. The first one is key events. Pivot points in your life where your direction changed and God started doing a new thing. For me, it was leaving home, going from a non-Christian home to flatting and being able to figure out my faith. Getting married was significant. On a wild whim, I went youth pastoring 28 years ago. Goodness. What were the key events for you? Now I'm going to give you, I'm going to get um, Alphonse to play a bit of Tinkle Pop at the end of this discussion, if you would, Al, so that you can have a bit of time to reflect. But I'll just walk through it now. Okay, key people, past and present. Who discipled you? Now, I've heard people say, oh, I was never discipled. Well, if you're here today and you're still a Christian, chances are you were. You might not have recognized it was happening, but it probably was. But it can be complicated. The guy who had the most to do with my Christian faith for the first seven or eight years is no longer following the Lord and hasn't for a long time. Not quite sure what to do with that one. That's what happened. Who were the big people? What new understandings have you grasped about God along the way? For me, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I grew up with this, very, this view of God who was distant, male, moralistic, who was looking to punish me. What were the big things for you? They might not have been that. I'm just giving that as an example. New understandings about yourself, your giftedness. your value. Low self-esteem is truly one of the diseases of our age. God's people. Church matters. It's we and God, it's not me and God. It's a team sport. Now the gospel that was shared with me in the mid-1980s, the four spiritual laws, actually church wasn't really a part of that. It was about individual personal response. Ongoing growth. I've talked a few times about how, as a young believer, I had to own up to a whole lot of dishonesty, theft and all sorts of stuff that I had done beat it out of me. Self-discipline. Forty years on, that's still a work in progress. Being other regarding. And it could be in your life addiction. 
It could be anxiety. That's another big disease of our age. It could be fear. Current growing edges in your being, in other words, how you are, or you're doing what you do. For me, it's been about patient listening recently, just slowing down and being able to be present to the other person, not focused on what I'm going to do in five minutes' time. But what are the growing edges? Where are the things that God seems to be working at in your life? What are they? And lastly, the desires of your heart. For me, that the kingdom would thrive in this place, in this community. But what are yours? Al, could you do the um, doodle pip for us? We'll just take a few minutes. Okay, it's not every day at church you get homework. But if you can take those home and give them some more time. There is a really useful thing um, called the examen, which is sort of a, a spiritual exercise that Ange led us through at camp. And I've put a one-page copy of that on the, on the desk at the door. If you want to take that, you might find that quite helpful. Music team, if you'd come up, we're going to close with a song.